Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. How about the Clippers? Why don't we do that? I live in Southern California. I am a Los Angeles native. It is a West Coast-based program. We're going to start right there. Now, for years now, you could sum up the mission of the Clippers in one glorious, epic phrase from some glorious, epic Clipper bros. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. We know this, and you're well aware of this. And that was the goal for the Clippers when they lost two home games to fall behind an underdog Mavs team. Then they trailed three games to two en route to what looked like another catastrophic meltdown and choke job by the alleged title contenders. I mean, at that point, the entire world was poised and ready to rush in and crucify these chokers. What else was there to do other than to say, turn up, love you guys, awesome. Turn up, love you guys, awesome. Because it looked like they were going to do it yet again. In the end, though, the Clippers went anti-Clipper. They turned up and they took out the Mavs. And then they finished them off in a game seven. And again, they were in big trouble. They were trailing. They had lost all three games at home. Can you imagine had they not come through? How bad that would have been. Can you imagine choking and losing all four games at home, including a game seven? It would have been the most Clipper thing of all time. And if we're being really honest with ourselves, it would have been the most hilarious thing of all time. Except that's not what happened, right? They clutched up. They manned up instead of manning down. And that also was a very unclipper-like thing. Good thing, too, because if they had lost this thing and they had gone down that way and they had lost in a game seven and they lost all four home games and they lost to a lower seed, man, they would have never, ever lived that down. They would have never heard the end of it, and nor should they. I mean, we are talking about a team. That was tanking in order to avoid the Lakers, who got bounced in the first round. Tanking in order to avoid the Lakers and literally asking for Luka instead, who nearly shot them the hell out of the field. Again, would have been the most Clipper thing ever and could have easily filled all three hours on this show today with a single topic. Oh, and Clipper fan, don't act like you didn't think that was going to happen either. You've seen that horror show before, and it was playing out right before your own very eyes yesterday. They were doing what they do best, choke. No one finds new and better ways to melt down than this crew, except this time they didn't. Instead of remembering that they were the Clippers at the worst possible time, Kawhi Leonard remembered he was Kawhi Leonard at the best possible time. I mean, I know it's such a cliche. And I hate using it, but in this case, it's true. Leonard was not going to let these guys choke. He was not going to let them choke again. He was not going to let them lose. He had a huge game. He had a near triple-double, all while being asked to defend the legend that is Luka. Even Pandemic P went the entire game without hitting the side of the backboard. George, way off. It's the side of the backboard. And then on top of that, you get a few guys that you didn't necessarily know that you could count on, but you did. Marcus Morris was huge. Luke Kennard was huge. Reggie Jackson came up big. When these guys had to have something and show you something, they did on a big stage. So, what I'm saying is this about the Clippers. What I'm willing to give you is limited credit. Limited credit for not doing what you always do when it matters most. Meltdown underachieve, and choke your way out of the postseason. So limited credit and like, good job, good effort. Good job. Good effort. I mean, I guess, I guess, limited credit for that, but absolutely no credit for advancing to the second round as the favorite in the series and being a lo- beating a lower seed that does not have your overall talent or your depth. Again, Zero credit for tanking to get into a matchup that you barely got out of. No credit for doing what you're supposed to do. In fact, how far did the bar get lowered? 
How far down is that bar now that a team with Kawhi and PG is getting this much love for winning a playoff series that they were favored in? They didn't bring these so-called legends in to win early in the playoffs against lower-seeded teams with the home court advantage. That's not why they brought those guys in. They brought those guys in to contend for and win world championships. So don't go popping any bottles or planning a parade route for getting out of the first round, barely. But I'll tell you who I will put some respect on. I'll give you a name that I'll put some respect on because people don't. People generally won't, and he does take a lot of heat. I'm talking about Ty Lue. Yeah, I said it. Because he coached his ass off yesterday. He showed some stones. In fact, huge stones. By staying with Luke Kennard. And by inserting Terrence Mann in the third quarter. Because he would have been crushed if that didn't work out. And yes, he got a ton out of Reggie Jackson in game six and seven. I mean, sure, Kawhi was good. He's supposed to be in those situations. He's a two-time NBA Finals MVP. Yes, Paul George was effective. But you're supposed to be when you gloss yourself playoff P. Talking about Marcus Morris Sr. How about this dude going for 23? Because he and his twin, who is in the house, to see Marcus. Marcus was, to use a phrase, shooting the piss out of it. He did. And who saw him going for not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, but seven threes. This guy was 7 of 9 from deep in Game 7. You want to talk about bailing them out. Hitting nearly 80% from deep in Game 7. Not 1, not 2, not 3, not 4, not 5, not 6. 7? Yeah, 7. I mean, that was stupid. So if he doesn't do that, if he does not show up that huge, what kind of a conversation are we having right now about the Clippers? Suddenly, Kawhi's numbers don't look that good, and neither do PG's. So, what I'm saying is, credit, I guess, for doing what you were supposed to do and getting out of the first round as an alleged title contender, but I'm still not sold. Because about five minutes ago, they had choked away another game meaning they lost their first three on their home floor and well were on their way to pulling off another all-time choke, trailing in the third quarter in Game 7. Luckily for them, Luka finally slammed into the wall. So yes, the playoffs are wide ass open right now, especially with James Harden dinged. But some of you really need to stop acting like the Clippers are now the team to beat. That the Clippers are playing their best when it matters most. That the Clippers actually just somehow won the strap. They didn't. They beat an undermanned, lower-seeded Mavericks team that gave them hell. So stop acting like we need to decide whether or not the Clippers' championship parade should start at Staples and head to the beach or whether it should start at the beach and head downtown, or that we owe them some sort of an apology. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. I mean, we'll see. They might go on a deep run, or they might get knocked the hell out by the Jazz right now. They could get to the conference finals, but would it surprise anybody at all if Kawhi and Pandemic P pulled their disappearing acts again and the Jazz rolled right over them? Of course not. That sure as hell could still happen. So, yes, I'm going to acknowledge the Game 7 win, but I'm still not sold. Now, you know, I want to see this against the Jazz. I want to see this against a higher-seeded team. Do that, and then we have something to talk about. Do that, and then maybe we can start to change the narrative about this team. Do that, and then maybe you are legit. But one Game 7 win against a team that you should have put to sleep much earlier does not make you warriors or change the previous narrative. I need to see more. I need to see a hell of a lot more. And it's not just me, by the way. So do these pros. They need to see more. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. This is a metaphor for your business's journey. Sometimes it feels like the world is throwing everything it has at you. And to succeed, you need someone to guide you through. 
That's what Dell Technologies Advisors do. They have the tech advice to help you navigate whatever challenges you're up against and get you safely to where you want to be. For advice on solutions like XPS 13 laptops powered by Intel Evo platform, call an advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. He is Jason Lockenfora, JLC. What's up, my brother? How are you? I am doing well, my friend. How are you? Good, good. JLC, everything's great. Good to have you back. Why don't we get right into this? And I want to ask you about something you pointed out last week. The DeAndre Hopkins trade was an indication that teams are really not that willing to give up that much to get an elite receiver. You made that point last week. So knowing that, what was your reaction to what the Titans did give up in order to get Julio Jones? Um, It was just a matter of, you know, which team was going to end up with him and for what was uh, going to be about a second-round pick. I mean, that's, that's the best they were going to do, despite what a lot of people in the media were trying to tell you. Otherwise, there was no first-round pick out there for him. There was no feeding frenzy. There was no bidding war. There were some interested parties, but $15 million is a lot of money, 32 years old, coming off injury. After what was looks like it has the potential to be another very robust receiver draft. And we just had what people were calling a generational receiver draft the year before that. So, yeah, Jim, I I think that this was always a salary dump. It played out as more of a salary dump than a football trade when you talk about what this player has accomplished in his career. And they move him to the other conference, and they get their second-round pick, which was about as good as they were going to do. But that doesn't exactly mean that the Falcons are in great shape. Right, and I will double back to that in a minute. But let's talk some more, Jason, about the Titans. So, like now, if you're an opposing D coordinator, how do you go about stopping an offense with Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, and A.J. Brown? Who is your priority to stop? It's a good question. Um, I I think you have to take away the run game with them. I mean, they're such a – I mean, I think since Tannehill took over for Mariota, he's not leading the NFL in play-action pass attempts. He's definitely in the top five. And obviously their ability to just bludgeon you on the ground um, opens things up for those deep shots, especially coming out of play-action. I mean, if Julio's healthy, that to me is the best one-two tandem in the league. I know Dallas might be deeper, or you can argue who they're, you know, what the exact pecking order should be there because they have an abundance of riches. And, and you know, there, there's, some, there's some nice combinations. But A.J. is an absolute superstar, and Julio's the first ballot Hall of Famer who, you know, when he's healthy and available, can still be special. Uh, they needed another element there, though, Jim, because that defense I'm not buying. And they may have to score into the high 30s to win games, you know, when they're outside of that terrible division they play in. So this was, for me, vital. Um, You know, the the tight end position is not what it was before. The wide receiver room on paper before Julio got there was not what it was before. The offensive line isn't quite what it was two years ago. And I do think at some point Derrick Henry will hit a wall. Um, But but this was a necessary move, and and I look at them as much more – of the team they have been now with Julio versus before when I I thought they were poster boys for regression. I agree. I I have similar questions about the defense, but I love that move. I love that they took their shot. They know that window's closing, and they took the big swing. But I do have questions about the defense. Jason Lockin for my guest. Jason, you mentioned the Atlanta Falcons and where that leaves them. In fact, you've got a piece up right now on CBSSports.com that does tackle that very issue. What does this say then about the Falcons and where they are? Well, I mean, again, if you've been paying attention, and as I've been chronicling and as we talked about at the start of this interview, the Julio Jones thing was what it was. It was a salary dump. But that's on them because they they had to wait until after June to trade him to get the cap savings because they've run their cap into the ground year after year after year. Generally, treating good players like they're great and treating great players like they're, you know, immediate Hall of Famers, and that catches up to you. And this new regime... Oh, it's tough, man, when you've got an owner who can still, in his mind's eye, see that Super Bowl loss and it doesn't feel that long ago to him, still stings like yesterday. But that's an eternity ago. I mean, they passed on so many opportunities at so many trade deadlines to start peddling those big contracts for something to have additional darts to throw come draft time. Because guess what? 
the last regime didn't draft all that well either. But they certainly love to spend money, and they overpaid their own guys with extensions, and they were perpetually chasing pass rushers, never really to find one. And now you're, you're, you're you know, is Matt Ryan at 36 going to take you to the promised land? Hell no. Is he good enough to mess around and win you eight games? Probably. And that's the worst, that's the worst part for them because they probably won't be picking this high again. They did this kind of half buttocked by trading their best player but doubling down on the quarterback for cap purposes and trying to extend a non-existent window and at the same time passing on some real quality quarterback prospects in the process to take a tight end. It just doesn't all add up to me, Jim, and, and I think, unfortunately, they remind me of a lot of Dolphins teams for a long time where like you're looking at them every year, you're saying they're not really going anywhere. But they'll mess around and be picking around 12 or 15 or 16. You know, not, not bad enough to get where you really need to be to get blue chippers. And so how do you get blue chippers? Oh, well, we start mortgaging future draft picks. No, 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 but that's what you need more than anything else. I just don't get it. That's all right. So not bad enough to get the blue chips, but not good enough to contend for the big prize. Right. And then a few days ago, Jason Lock informed my guest, a few days back, you also wrote that Julio Jones is not the only Jones in an interesting situation. Yeah. So where do things stand with Chandler Jones and the cards? Yeah, I mean, he hasn't showed up for anything they've done to this point. He lives right down the street. He erased all references to the franchise from his social media. Um, uh, he's set to play out the final year of his uh, five-year deal with the Cardinals that they've never adjusted, despite him, you know, having what, between 2017 and 2019, eight more sacks than anybody in the NFL, despite having 19 sacks the last full season he played. And at the time of, of the, uh, the arm injury last year, since he entered the league to that point, no one in the NFL had more sacks than Chandler Jones. Um, but, you know, they paid J.J. Watt, they paid DeAndre Hopkins, so we'll see, you know, do, do, if they really wanted to sweeten the pot, if they really wanted to take care of him, uh, it would have happened by now. But you've got to, what, I think they've got their mandatory work coming up this weekend in terms of, or this week, I should say, in terms of minicamp. So we'll see if they're able to, uh, to, to, to sweeten the pot or make something happen there. But I can tell you other GMs have been looking at this situation for a while saying, um, okay, well, if push comes to shove, and he's not showing up, and, and he demands a trade, there, there might be a lot of meat on that bone for $15 million. basically the same salary as Julio, but a year younger, and playing a, a position that, Jim, um, the, the draft might have been the generational pass rusher draft for exactly the opposite reason a wide receiver, because there was none of them. I see exactly what you're saying. Jason Lockenfora is joining us. That makes sense to me. Now, you also recently did a piece for the website where you broke down your predictions for the upcoming season. You had Patrick Mahomes as your MVP, which, as you point out, is not the most radical prediction yeah, ever. But, but, right, right. But when you look at the offensive line, GLC, this season compared to last season, how much yeah. better is it? Oh, I, I think it's markedly better. It's, it's, it's. I think it's better in terms of quality and potentially quantity, especially if Mitchell Schwartz does just decide to come back for another year at some point down the line or whatever. Um, but I think what, what they did in free agency, what they did in trade, and what they've done in the draft, they, they have tripled down on their, their one most glaring need. And remember, they, they came, you know, I don't know, 66 cents away from getting Trent Williams. I mean, it wasn't that close, but they were willing to spend um, – you know, massively for him, even after resetting the guard market for Joe Tooney. So, yeah, I think, you know, um, a healthy Patrick Mahomes, better group in front of him. The running back now a little bit more settled down going into year two, kind of knowing what, you know, an NFL season feels like at that position versus college in terms of length and grind and everything else. Um, I, yeah, I, I think Patrick Mahomes is poised to do some amazing stuff again. Talking to GLC for a few more moments. All right, then, speaking of growth and development, what are you expecting to see from Justin Herbert in his second season, especially yeah. with the arrival of a new coaching staff? Yeah, I think, I think the combination of new ideas, um, new coaches, new voices, new concepts, plus the foundation he built, and that's another team that – I think really, you know, put, put not, not just through, you know, took one shot at upgrading their offensive line, but several. I, I, I just have a hard time thinking that 
the worm doesn't eventually turn for the Chargers, especially having a generational quarterback like this, um, who came in under you know the the most diverse circumstances individually and then also collectively given you know what all the teams were facing last year with lack of practice time and COVID restrictions and, and et cetera. Yeah, I think he's primed to, to take off, and if they can just stay a smidge healthy on defense, uh, I think that's a formidable unit there. All right, so one last topic. i got about 90 seconds, GLC. It was not that long ago that there was all this talk about Russell Wilson's future in Seattle and how unhappy he was there. What is your sense as to what the relationship is like now between the quarterback and the team? I, I mean, look, he's, he's ne- never was going to come out and, and say, I'm, I'm absolutely done here, trade me right now. He, he tiptoed as close to that line as he was ever going to. Um, and now it's, 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 we'll see how this year goes. Do some of the interpersonal dynamics there change? Do some of the philosophies change? What is the new play caller like? Um, is the answer when things are tough, you know, go back to the default under Pete Carroll, which has been run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Um, you know, they didn't make sweeping changes to the offensive line. You know, they, they did add a few pieces. Do, does that get any better? Is he still running for his life? Does he feel like he has more of a voice there in what they're doing philosophically and otherwise? I mean, all that remains to be seen. Uh, so I would just say stay tuned. He is an NFL insider for CBS Sports and CBSSports.com, co-host of Inside Access on 105.7, the fan in Baltimore, and, of course, the co-host of Positive Spin Rate Podcast. He is Jason Lockenfora, GLC. Thanks so much. Great to have you back. Always my pleasure, homie. Talk to you soon. So let me drop some stats on you. Two out of three men are going to experience some form of hair loss by the time they're 35. More than 50 million men in the U.S. suffer from male pattern baldness. And there are only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss. Keeps offers both. So let me talk to you about Keeps. Keeps is offering a simple, stress-free way for you to keep your hair. Convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered straight to your door every three months, and you do not have to leave your home. And low-cost treatments start at only 10 bucks per month. And Keeps offers generic versions. On top of that, you get discreet packaging and you get proven results. Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of the competition. Prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results, so you want to move fast. Act on it right now. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Rome. Get your first month of treatment for free. You want to jump on this right away. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Rome. Get that first month free. Once again, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Rome. All right, so another weekend in the rear view means that we are just that much closer to Smack Off 27. That much closer to the main event. That much closer to June 25th. That much closer to crowning, crowning a champion. And dropping five gur on somebody. Five grand in cold, hard cake. As of right now, we are just 18 days out. I've said this a million times. You have to make the distinction. 18 days does not mean 18 shows. 18 days means 14 shows. You cannot qualify if not during the show. You understand me? You can't hit me up on Twitter. You can't hit me up on Instagram. You can't hit me up when we're off the air and qualify. You can only qualify on air. So you're running out of time. If you need to rip a ticket or cement the one you already have or you need to RSVP, you are running out of time. But you knew that. You already know that. In fairness, I spent the better part of last week calling you out and telling you, get on the phone, lob me a call. And for the most part, you did. In fact, I handed out back-to-back golden tickets on back-to-back days. One to a brand-new caller called or named James in Portland. Well, weird James got his. And I gave one to a throwback, Tyler in Shredmonton, a three-time smack-off participant. Now, as stoked as I am to be handing out those ducats, I'd be remiss if I did not mention that the golden ticket class of 2021 is now up to seven people. All right, so what does that mean? It does not take an Alfredo expert 
to realize that seven golden tickets does not mean that seven of you who are holding on to those golden tickets are getting on the air on Friday, June 25th. In fact, I've done the math on this never-ending pasta bowl. 42 different sauce and pasta combinations. If you do the math, I'm doing the Alfredo. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) You do your bleeping math. I'm doing the Alfredo. Let me tell you something, douchebag. Anyway. I don't think we need to know anything about math or Alfredo to know that all seven of you are not getting on. What it means is this. The smack-off, in a way, has already started for the ticket holders. Do you see me working? All right? It's kind of like when you hear a team or an athlete say, before the end of the regular season, the playoffs have already started for us. Same thing with you golden ticket recipients. So, if my name is Chris in Southeastern Wisco, or Jeremy in Green Bay, or Tyler in Shredmonton, or CJ in the Bay, or James in Portland, or Paul's dog, I'm figuring out how to make it so Rome, me, has to take my call that day. I mean, there's playing your way into a golden ticket, but then there's playing your way onto the airwaves. These are two different things. So that means getting up in here in the days leading up to the day to build your case, right? To make it so I need to take your call that day. You feel me? Golden ticket class of 2021. You see me working. I hope so. Speaking of working, Mr. Alvin DeLauro has been hard at work engineering his annual smack-off promo masterpiece. This is a piece of audio that I do look forward to every single year. As soon as we do get that date on the calendar for the smack-off, I say to Alvin, Alvin, it's time to go. It's go time. Make that promo. And then I ask him, and he says, dude, dude, I got it. I got it. Here's the day that you're going to get it. And then he never hits it on that day, ever. It always gets pushed back a day or two, but better late than never because he always nails it. Well, today is the day. Actually, today is not the day. He told me the day was last week. Sorry, dude. Dude, dude, no, no. I know, dude. Anyway, today is the day. He's done it. Now, let me say this. I'm only messing with Alvin because this thing is a lot of work. It's masterfully done every single year. He makes it look very, very, very easy, and it never is. It's worth the wait. Rather than get into it and break it down, I think I'm going to let the genius get right to the magic itself because the magic will speak on its own. It will stand on its own merits. So, Alvy, this is one of your biggest and most important contributions every single year. You're about to get the jungle hyped on the 27th year of the Smack Off. This is like the trailer of the movie, the hype track for the cleanup hitter, the weigh-in for the headlining championship fight. This is your promo for smack-off number 27. 27. Where were you in 1995? JT the Brick ripped the initial crown. The greatest city, the deepest tradition, and the best smack comes from New York and the Brick. Where were you in the year 2000 when Doc Mike became the first ever two-time champ? Other children. Dude, 8 is Enough was only a TV show. and Put your d*** back where it belongs and mix in a contraceptive. Where were you in 2010 when Vic and NoCal officially became Broadway? I'm the single most influential force in the jungle in the past 20 years. Everywhere you look in the jungle, you see my influence. Where were you in 2014 when Mike and Indy and Chael Sonnen split the title? If I tell you the moon is made of cheese, you can get you some crackers. What if I tell you two of America's most wanted are in the same mother place at the same mother time? In 2015, where were you when Left in Laguna went household buzzing my tower? Jim, that blue chopper right outside the window, that's me. Riding shotguns, Randall, he washed your windows four weeks ago. Where were you in 2016 when Brad in Corona committed jungle suicide? Okay, so Najee Davenport, Peppermint Patty, and an uncircumcised Euro walk into a laundromat. Smack off 27, Friday, June 25th, 2021.
If you win it, you get five grand and you're a legend. It's go time. It is now officially Smack Off season. I created Smack Off season. Cal in Vegas. I have to go. I got an elevator full of women coming up here to see me. The Smack Off on the three minute man, put in the bedroom. I'm all night. Benny in Wisco. Does Jeff in Southfield just look around his apartment and write a script based on what he sees? Softball. Bacon bitch, medium-sized cat turd. Pack a snorkel! He is Jeff in Southfield. Hey, Trapper, rest in peace. And what I mean by that is stay in your coffin and shut up. I afraid he. So time to take all those scripts to the shredder, clonies. Hop on the moral bulldozer or get bulldozed. From Richmond, Jeff. The only legitimate sports radio. God! King Kong ain't got nothing on me. Caleb. Caleb versus everybody. I don't want sympathy. I don't want to Pity party. Take your best shot, tough guys. I'll see you in my driveway. It's a walrus game. And nice work, Caleb. That gimmick was almost as bad as your diet. Mark in Boston. Caleb always loves his tube sock. Mike in Indy. Then the Stucknut smack off odds come out, and Mark in Boston is ahead of me, and I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. So Stucknut is cut off. And Mark, I know you didn't create the Stucknut odds, but you're cut off too, bitch. Bye-bye. Rick in Buffalo. Unworked grown men who say their fathers are their best friends. Get some real friends, you friggin' losers. He is Mark in Hollywood. Little bitch, little bitch, little bitch, left is gone. He's on that dirty mattress and he'll be there all night long. Mark, if you read your Hollywood scripts half that well, you might be able to land a gig better than dressing up like the Statue of Liberty during tax season. Sean, the Kaplan Asian. Left in Laguna, quote, the week or two before the smack-off, I go Dude, through all my notes. this isn't your radio show. Rome has sponsors. Come on, man. We can't just spend all the time we want reading articles because we got no commercial breaks. <laughs> I was winning the smack-off back when the show was four hours long and Jim and Fall River had livestock giving birth in the background of his call. The B-I-C. Guys, let me explain something to you. It is impossible for me not to punch down. When you're me, everyone is down, okay? I just punch. He's a three-time champ left. I hate Brad and Corona so much. I hope he has a heart attack next time he plays charade. I'm all ears. Johnny, my biggest concern, whoever was staying in that hotel room below yours, wondering if the bed Big Sean is making love on is going to come crashing through the ceiling like you're the Kool-Aid guy. Oh, yeah. Get up in here, rip your golden ticket. In a custom fit, 4XL Tommy Bahama. Clean my toilet, son. I got to get down to 440 or they're going to turn me. I'll be you impregnated a sock to the point where it got up, looked at you, said thank you for my life. I'd like to really, uh, my dog's barking. Hey, Paul Shaw, you need to grow up here. I gave you a date. Clean it up, Jeremy. Whoopee. You need to reinvent yourself as a decent caller. Come on. The Smack Off 27. Put more effort in, in loser. The tradition yeah, yeah, yeah. continues. Yeah. Dude, that guy gets more ass than Kelly Clarkson's Lazy Boy. Friday, June 25th. <laughs> Time to die. <laughs> Come get some, you bitches! Go time. Get at it. Can't wait. Come on! (laughs) I'm telling you, this kid does not miss. This is why Alvin can promise me that promo on a certain day and then deliver it eight days later. Because of that, he does not miss. He's hitting 1,000. That boy, Alvy. Well done. If that doesn't get you hyped, nothing will. Smack off 27. Friday. June 25th, the season is upon us. The promo has dropped. The RSVPs are piling up. The cash is stacked. The tickets are flying off my desk. Let's keep this thing going. 1-800-636-8686. You want to be a part of that? You think you're good enough to be a part of that? Prove it. Show me. Show all of us. Pick up the phone. Hit us up. I'm hyped. Alvin, that is an all-timer. That is one of your best efforts to date. Again, 1-800-636-8686. Quick timeout. I've got an RSVP coming up next. I like that. Are there any more? Phone lines are open. He is Vincent Goodwill. Vincent, good to have you back. What's up? What's going on, Jim? How you doing? Good, good, dude. How about you? I am wonderful, man. We are at the second round of the playoffs, which means that some of us can get some sleep on off nights. There you go. That's a good thing. You got to take advantage of that. You know how it is. Listen, you got a piece up right now on Yahoo Sports, though, about the Clippers finishing off the Mavericks in Game 7. I want to start right there. Vincent, like, what are your thoughts when you hear people say, all right, good. You see, those are the real Clippers, and they exercise their demons by getting over in Game 7. I mean, 
nice win, way to go, way to advance. But did they really exercise the demons and change the narrative? Have we seen the Clippers movies? Because I know I have. And uh, getting out of the first round isn't exactly uh, the biggest milestone that they've ever done. Like, if you remember in 2015, they put out the champion, the then champion San Antonio Spurs, in game seven, in an overtime in the first round. And what did they do in the second round? They gagged a 3-1 lead to the Houston Rockets to the likes of Josh Smith shooting threes from the corner. Like, so it doesn't mean a whole lot if they don't get out of the second round. And the crazy thing is, Jim, look, the Utah Jazz are a well-rounded, more complete team that doesn't have Boban in the middle. They got the defensive player of the year in Rudy Gobert, you know, manning the paint. So the work has just begun for the Clippers if they are going to be serious. Listen, limited credit for getting over and getting to the next round. But let me turn that thing on its head for a minute. How horrible would it have been for the Clippers if they lost the final two games of the regular season to Houston and OKC because they wanted that matchup with the Mavericks and then they went out and they lost? It would be be It would be almost worse. It's still, here's the thing, Jim. They're not off the hook for that yet, yet either. Because if you lose to Utah, you could have very well have avoided them in the second round as well, right? You could have avoided playing the Utah Jazz until the conference finals. You could have been playing the Phoenix Suns right now, which having a banged-up Chris Paul feels like an easier matchup because DeAndre Ayton isn't as fearsome as Rudy Gobert is in the middle. And I think there's still going to be a lot of changes if they don't get to the finals. If Paul George comes up short again, like we've seen Kawhi Leonard show that game five was an anomaly where he came up very, very short on his home floor. Ever since then, he's been historically amazing. And if you don't get out of the second round, regardless of the opponent, and you have a historically amazing playoff performer, you got to look at the number two guy and say, hey, should we be moving forward with you? Because they're not going to change Ty Lue. They're not going to change some of these other corresponding pieces. So I don't think that they've gotten out of anything, and I don't think just by beating Dallas and avoiding, you know, the Lakers or whatever, like, that wasn't Freddy Krueger that they were going to go against. That was going to be Frosty the Snowman. The Lakers fizzled in the first round of the playoffs. So who were you avoiding? Vincent Goodwill is joining us. All right, you just mentioned Ty Lue, so let me follow you up there. What do you make of the job that Ty Lue did in the series, and especially in games six and seven? Jim, I thought that he – I thought I think that will say this to start off. I think Rick Carlisle is one of the top five tacticians in the NBA. I think from a adjustment standpoint, Rick Carlisle, if you give him some pieces, he will break you down. And Ty Lue outcoached him. Ty Lue, when he went small and forced Rick Carlisle to basically play zone, which essentially gets the Clippers to do what they want to do, which is shoot a bunch of threes. You know what I mean? Like, he made an adjustment that forced Rick Carlisle to play right into what the Clippers wanted to do. And although you can say that Ty had the better roster, he has a flawed roster with a mentally fragmented squad, and now, if nothing else, they appear confident. You start from game two on, they won four out of the last five games, and you can say that they did not have the best player on the floor definitively with Luka Doncic on the other end. I like Ty Lue as a tactician. I like him being the presence of calm, like there wasn't a lot of panic after game two or after game five when they gagged that game at home. So I would say that he has the right demeanor from the standpoint of I'm not going to be be holding to what the Clippers are. I am a championship coach. You guys will listen to me, and guys have actually bought in. I agree. Vincent Goodwill joining us. One more thought about him. When he leads the Clippers to the semifinals, Ty Lue, that means half the head coaches in the semifinals are black. How significant is that? It's significant to the public, but it's only going to be significant if NBA owners take heed of it. Like, you can't – we can keep beating the drum, and I am a black man, I'm a black American – I see the struggle that these coaches go through. The number of coaches keep dwindling, and no matter what the achievements are, like you can't achieve your way out of, out of quote-unquote, racism or bias or whatever. So if the owners and GMs don't want to see it, it won't mean a damn thing. All this does is prove beyond a shadow of a reasonable doubt, if there ever was one, that black men are just as qualified as anybody else of leading men and achieving something. 
Exactly right. Vincent Goodwill joining us. All right, so let me get you to move to the East. James Harden left game one of the Nets' ball series less than a minute in. He's already been ruled out of game two. Brooklyn goes on. They dominate game one, however, and we know they're deep. However, how big a concern is his injury for the Nets? Huge. Right. Because I don't think you can expect the same performances out of the likes of, you know, Blake Griffin, who jumped in the uh, hot tub wayback machine <laughs> and, and, got, and got chocolate wasted on threes. Look, I live in Detroit, and I saw Blake Griffin for a couple, you know, for the tail end of this. He didn't look like that, Jim Rome. Okay, I don't know what he did, what uh, hypergenic machine he jumped in where that rejuvenated his legs, but he looks like a new player. He looks like a fresher player. The problem is, do you can you depend on him to be your third best player? I think KD and Kyrie are going to specialize at getting their shots. But the one thing that James Harden did, James Harden was a certain glue that got, oh, I hate to say the others. I hate whoever came up with that, cursed the day that they said it, Jim Rome. But the, the guy, the supporting players, the role players, the Joe Harris's of the world, the Jeff Greens of the world, even though Jeff Green didn't play, those are the guys that were eating off of James Harden. KD and Kyrie aren't as wont to set those guys up. And if you're Milwaukee, you're not going to miss all of those open shots all the time. I think Mike Budenholzer had better jump into that adjustment, into those adjustments, and realize he's not playing the Boston Celtics. If he does not, this will be an easy series for the Brooklyn Nets. But I picked the Milwaukee Bucks to actually win this series before this series started. To your point about Blake Griffin, I have no idea how the hell he did what he did. I mean, he goes 18 and 14. That is not the guy that I saw in Detroit, but somehow, some way, he was able to turn that clock back at least for one day. What about that point you just made about the Bucks and the adjustments? What kind of adjustments do they need to make for game two and going forward? How about make one adjustment, Jim? If they don't, they look like that they walked in with a very rigid game plan. They look like they walked in more shook that James Harden got hurt than the team that actually lost James Harden. And the thing is, with Mike Budenhoser and these Milwaukee Bucks, we're expecting them to win. Like, this is the team that has gone through plenty of heartbreak. And when you come out and you say, okay, Blake Griffin, we're going to beat you in the only way that you can beat us, and he can do that, and then he's diving on the floor, beating Bobby Portis, beating P.J. Tucker. Wait, Jim, I thought the Milwaukee Bucks were supposed to be the toughen team. I thought they were supposed to be the Harden team. Because here's the thing. If you can't beat these Brooklyn Nets this year, you will never beat the Brooklyn Nets as long as those guys are over there. We are talking to Vincent Goodwill. Right. It's an opportunity for them right now. Now, when you look around and you see all the injuries this season and in the postseason, how much then, Vincent, are the playoffs just about surviving and staying as healthy as you possibly can? It's that way every year, Joe. I just think we pay more attention to it because of COVID-19, because of the fact that it's early June and we're just starting the semifinals as opposed to it being early June and we're in the throes of the NBA Finals. I just think the calendar makes us realize that, oh, my God, this is a game of attrition. Injuries are going to happen every year. As long as guys are still playing basketball for 12 months and not resting themselves, this is going to be an issue from now until the end of time. But you're right. If nothing else with Ty Lue, you can say this. The Clippers are the team for all the, all the crap that we just gave them and that we will continue to give them until they achieve something, they're the healthiest team right now. They're the team that doesn't have a lot of nicks and bruises, while every other team that's remaining in the playoffs has something to deal with. A lot of times it's not the best team, but the fresher team that comes out of this. Right. The Lakers did, and they're sitting at home right now, which brings me to something Something else, you and I have talked about Detroit in the past. When Anthony Davis tried to play through that injury in Game 6, let me ask you this way. What do you think Grant Hill, for instance, was thinking as he watched that play out? He was, you know, like uh, Professor Xavier from the X-Men where he could uh, teleport his thoughts into your mind. I'm sure he was probably saying, young fella, please go sit down. Don't do this. This is not worth it. But when you have Charles Barkley... Saying what he, you know, saying what he said the night before. Even I've said that Anthony Davis is like the game of Operation, the old board game where you touch something it goes. Zzz, zzz. That's what Anthony Davis has felt like throughout his entire career. So we've all taken part in it, and he's heard it. But you have to be not only as smart to have the bigger picture to be able to look at things from thirty thousand feet, but you have to have the right people in your corner. My thing is Jim Rome. What? doctor what quack decided that anthony davis was healthy enough to play that is a licensed medical professional that is employed by the los angeles lakers 
Those are the questions we should be asking more than anything else because 30 seconds after that game started, it was obvious that he should not have been out there. And groin injuries, while they're not ankles, while they're not knees or anything else, that is nothing to play with, and that can have long-term devastating effects, especially for a guy who is in the prime of his career and has already had injury problems. You're right. It was obvious that he was going to give them nothing whatsoever. It was obvious that he could not play through that. So what did put him out there? And I did mention Grant Hill. Like, was this about the fact that even back in the day, people were coming at Grant and calling him soft? Was AD out there? And I'm not saying he's not out there because he doesn't want to win. He does. And I'm not saying he's not out there because he doesn't want to be there for his teammates. He does. But how much of him was being out there was because of what he heard and read on social and everything else that went along with that narrative. I think it was a combination of a couple of things. I think when you're playing in the game and you have adrenaline running through your system and everything else, you're feeling like maybe I can play through it or at least give us a little bit of a bump. But can you imagine coming off of how they got waxed in game five in Phoenix? If Anthony Davis doesn't give it a go and they wind up getting waxed the way that they did, we would legitimately be asking questions about – we'll say legitimately. We would, the questions would be coming – from us about Anthony Davis's heart. And you got to go out there for your teammates. You saw what they looked like without you in game five. You saw what they looked like without you in game six. Why didn't you at least try? I don't know as an athlete what I would have done in that situation. It's a, it's a slippery slope, and it's a lose-lose situation for him because you know that the Laker franchise, whether it's Magic Johnson in his tweets or James Worthy on the, uh, on the flagship network, those guys are made men, and they would have been saying something about Anthony Davis's ticker, along with the national guys, along with every, you know, every Tom, Dick, and Harry that has a Twitter account. Why didn't he go out there? He's not a true Laker and everything else. So I understand the, the risk that he was assessing and the pride that he was trying to take in it. Turns out it didn't matter anyway, Jim, but we also have to be fair and how we were going to assess things in hindsight, regardless of what happened. So, Vincent, one last thought about Magic, who you mentioned. I'm curious, like, when Irv is on Twitter and he's just thumbing out these, like, incredibly innocuous tweets that mean nothing at all to anybody, I'm still wondering if, like, he's in on the joke and he's trolling all of us, or if he really is just that bad at Twitter. I haven't figured that out yet. However, he was pretty clear about saying Dennis Schroeder is not one of us. He's not a Laker. He's not a winner. You saw those comments. What was your reaction to to it. Ha ha, my man Jim Rome. How you doing? This is Magic right from the Twitter account. No, of course. Of course Magic knows what he's doing. Magic is not oblivious to this. I don't think that he necessarily sends out his own tweets. I think maybe like his nephew or something like that handles all that type of stuff. But Irv pays attention to his mentions. He's not. Look, I don't care how rich you are. You know and you pay attention to what people are saying. You may not care, but he knows, and he was clear about Dennis Schroeder. He's heard the same things that a lot of us have heard, that he has not been necessarily happy in L.A., happy with his role. He wants to go somewhere where he can have a bigger role, more say. It's not easy playing with LeBron James. It's not at all. And some people don't, avou- don't value winning above anything else. It's not a selfish thing. It's about, you know, how can I best, you know, fill my space in this NBA, you know, in this NBA ecosystem, and he doesn't feel like being a spot-up shooter in Los Angeles is the best use of his talents. Some people don't want to sign up to be standing in the corner waiting on a pass from LeBron. Some people want to be able to make their own mark, so you can't fault him for that, and he's not the first person to feel that way in LeBron's orbit. So I won't be surprised if he goes off somewhere else. He turned on an extension during the season. I could see him coming all the way across the country to play for a team like the New York Knicks, making a boatload of money, living in New York City, and getting some numbers. Well, he turned out an extension, all right, and it was a big, fat extension, too. He is a Yahoo senior writer. He previously covered the Bulls for NBC Sports Chicago. As I mentioned, the Pistons also for the Detroit News. He is the pride of the D. He is Vincent Goodwill. Good job, my man. Great to have you back, Vincent. Thanks so much. Hey, appreciate it. Hey, did you like the magic impression, Rome? I liked that a lot, dude. Not not as much as you did, but I liked it a lot. <laughs> Just playing, yo. <laughs> Always been something, man. <laughs> I did like that, man. Well done. Well played. I'll look forward to your next one. Be good, man. Talk soon. I right, see you guys.
Are you looking to grab some protein after a good workout? Of course, except this time, do it differently. Do not make a shake. Don't eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire, and it goes with you wherever you go. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality that you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, clones, ask for it by name. Because no other jerky compares. Oh, Trapper, what's your beef? Tim Corbin is my guest. Tim, it's so good to have you back. How are you? Good, Jim. Good to hear your voice again. You too, Tim. Good to hear your voice. So let me ask you, you're coming off a win over Georgia Tech, which started last night. It ended this morning. It could not have been more dramatic. So take me back a few hours. Top of the 11th, bases loaded. Isaiah Thomas at the plate. What was going through your mind in that moment? Well, I guess I was just looking for contact there. And uh, the young man, Isaiah, dropped a a fly ball earlier in the game that led to a big inning for Georgia Tech. So, you know, in those situations right there, you'd love to see a kid redeem himself a little bit and counterpunch, and he did. It was a two-strike pitch, and he hit it over the left field wall. And, you know, at that point right there, it it just uh, put our team up big at the time, although that was the type of game that you felt like it was never going to end. It was like the team that had the last at bat, and they actually did. Even though we were home, they had the last at bat, but it was I was very happy for him, very happy for our team. It was uh, a very emotional game. I was going to say, in terms of emotion, Tim, the reaction, for those who did not see it, what was the reaction like in the dugout when that happened and he hit that grand slam? I mean, it's crazy. Our our field is very intimate, Jim, where the fans are right on top and everyone stayed in their seat for five hours. So um, everyone was into it and they were just anticipating something. But, you know, Isaiah, it's that adrenaline rush that you get when you hit a ball and, you know, him sprinting around the bases. Uh, I guess a bat flip right now is, is kind of common, although we, we don't, we don't like that, but he, he didn't really flip it. He just, he shoved it aside, but the, the sprint around the bases and him getting to home plate and the, the group coming out to meet him, it was, uh, yeah, I guess euphoric for the kids and it, it's, it's fun to, to see them having fun at that level. We're talking to Tim Corbin. Tim, I want to talk to you for a minute about approach because Thomas said that his approach actually was pretty simple. He said, quote, there's no place to put me. I knew all I had to do was touch the ball. There was less than two outs. I was just trying to stay within myself, put a good swing on the ball, get a ball that I could hit, and then that's what happened, end quote. You and I have talked about the mental approach in the past. How important is it when you're in a situation like that to have players who are not trying to do too much? Yeah, it's really controlling your adrenaline because you get into those moments right there, and when you're a young kid, you've never been through that before. It's very difficult to do. Now, he, like a lot of our kids, after the 19 national championship year, this is a new team, so... Some of them had had their eyes on that, but they've never been in the middle of it before, and Isaiah's one of those. But I think he just got himself into the game where he, he, uh, he there was a good face. You could see it. He was, he was controlling himself, and uh, he didn't take a big swing. It was really just getting the head of the bat out and just trying to make contact. And oftentimes I think when you don't try to recruit more resources to hit the ball, you just try to get to the ball. You, you do more damage, and that's exactly what he did. And you know, he's a very strong kid. He's he's got just natural strength in his hands, and he's kind of like those old '70s hitters that that you and I used to see, and Ernie Banks and Billy Williams. He's got those types of type of wrists and movements, and uh, certainly has a chance to play beyond Vanderbilt. Yeah, like Mike Schmidt or my hero. Ron say yeah. back in the day, the forearms, yeah. man, the wrists. When you, yeah. Tim, when you talk about a young athlete controlling or learning to control their adrenaline, how do they or really any of us do that or learn to do that? What's the process? I think it's centering your mind just on what you're doing right now, and it's your ability to leave what you've done behind you as quickly as you can. And I, I just think that that, that takes time. I, I think too many people carry pitches or putts or drives or shots with them as they start to move forward. And really in in competition, it is about playing forward. And if you're really playing forward, then you're centering yourself just on what you're doing right now at that time. And uh, I I just think that's learned. I I think it's for some people, the special guys, 
it's internal. They can they can get there quicker. But I think experiences help that more than anything. And that that's a young man who's had some experiences here, not a ton, but he he's learning on the run. And I like how he got himself in that moment yesterday. Vanderbilt head baseball coach Tim Corbin is joining us. They're on to the Super Regional once again. And Tim, of course, you have Jack Leiter, who went six innings. He struck out 11 in the first game against Georgia Tech on Saturday. Afterwards, Tech head coach Danny Hall said Leiter, quote, is as good as we have seen, end quote. So obviously you spent a lot of time with him. What makes Jack different and special? Well, this is his second year. He, he, was, uh, he was a freshman last year. I think what makes him special is he's just very mature. He's on task. He's, he, he gets into the facility, and he, he's moving towards what he needs to do. He's very organized mentally. I mean, off the field, he's organized. He's socially responsible. He's just real, and it, it, he's just a low-maintenance guy to, to coach. Now, He's been privy to the fact that his dad was a former major leaguer and a damn good one, too, and an uncle that was a major leaguer, too. But he, he's developed his own passion for the game. And I, I think a lot of pro athletes, when they have children, uh, I think very few follow in the same footsteps that, that uh, their dads do for, for whatever reason. But in, in Jack's case, Jack has a, a very true passion for the game of baseball, and he loves pitching. And he attacks it. And I think his, his competitive, competitiveness and the way he goes about getting himself ready for competition is it far exceeds how old he is right now. He, this is a kid that's going to uh, – he's definitely going to have a chance to pitch beyond here. But uh, he certainly has a high care level for what he's doing and uh, does it very well. A high care level. I like that too. Tim Corbin joining us. Tim, you and I have also spoken, of course – about Kumar Rocker, who is special in his own right, also the son of a famous star, professional athlete. What would you say about his mindset, the way he carries himself, and what makes him different? Similar, but, you know, Kumar's more animated on the mound. Jack's more uh, internal. But, you know, when I think about those two guys, Jim, I think, you know, as kids, they both sat in stadiums for, for a long period of time. Jack in baseball, Kumar in football with his dad, and I just feel like the arena of competition is very natural for them. They they, they don't posture. Uh, there's no BS. They get inside a competition, and they're, they're competing for one thing. They're competing to win. And the other thing that's very natural about them is they, they compete for their boys. I mean, they love being part of a team, and that's very natural for them. They're not showcase players. They're not auditioning. It's just, here's the ball. I'm competing for my guys. And, and I really want to win for my guys. And I, I think that type of feeling is, it is, it is natural. I, I think that's something that uh, you have been a part of in your life. You feel it. You, you like what it, how it feels. And it's very fulfilling to you. And I would say from, from that vantage point, Kumar, is, he's an alpha. And, and Jack is too. I mean, they're dogs. They, they get out there and they, they compete very well and they forget about the mechanics that they, they work on off the field, they get onto the field, and it's just about winning. You get a dugout full of dogs, you're not going to come off that field on the losing end very often. You know, if we take that right. one step further, Tim, you're talking about how if something happens, you want your guys to get beyond it as quickly as possible. Something you've talked about, quote, is rewiring yourself for what's coming now because of what's happened in the past is very much in the past. It seems to me people could spend their entire lifetime trying to learn that or trying to figure out how to rewire themselves and leave the past in the past. So how do you go about teaching that to college kids? Well, I, I think it's just understanding that, you know, trying to understand the difference in, I guess, happiness in what you're doing and success. And I, I think when you're, when you're really passionate about something, you really care about something, and I think that, that, that's the area that I, I feel like as a, as a teacher, I feel like I'm most responsible for, for that, you know, to hold your team and those individuals accountable for their passion and what they do and who they do it with. Because really, if you're passionate about something, you'll, you'll personally invest your, like your spirit to create the environment you need in order to produce the outcomes you want. And if you don't, then you just leave everything to chance. And I, I think being, just being mentally turned on every day when you show up in this environment and understanding that it's like 
Vanderbilt at the beginning of the year, the, the chances of winning a national championship were one in 300. Now they're one in 16. So if, if the chances are that small, what makes a successful season, what makes a successful campaign for these kids if only one team can win? And I, I just think it's, it's more about helping your kids learn how to get better at their craft, how to use this environment to build deeper bonds, how to take on challenges, how to come back from adversity, how to grow and get better, how to test your limitations, and then how to be vulnerable and just build that, that self-esteem that you're looking for inside a sport. And I, I think when you're, you know, I talked about Kumar, but I think kids want to be part of something that's bigger than themselves, especially when they learn how good it feels, and they want to belong to something that matters. And I, and I, I think that's really... When I look at being a teacher and a coach, I think that's what you try to do. You're just a facilitator. You're an organizer of an environment, and you're trying to create the best possible environment for these kids to flourish inside of it. And then if any individual accolades happen from it, cool. You know, it's great. And, and, and usually when your mind is moving towards the group, that's when those individual accolades start to happen for you. What an amazing response. Tim Corbin, my guest, he's the head baseball coach at Vanderbilt. 19 years as head coach at Vanderbilt, has already led them to a pair of College World Series titles, a member of the American Baseball Coaches Association Hall of Fame, and they are not done yet. They get a little bit of time off, and then it's on to the Super Regional against East Carolina. Tim, congrats on being right back there. It is great to have you on the show. Thanks for making time for us, and I love that conversation. Really appreciate you. No, I always appreciate you too, Jim. I hope I get a chance to see you this summer. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. Gavin, what's going on? How are you? Hey, Jerome. How's it going? Good. How about you, Gav? I'm doing really good. Hey, i got to say, first of all, that crossover with Dan was awesome. I love seeing you guys uh, do the crossover on the stream. But anyway, i got to say, I feel bad for LeBron. Father time is undefeated, and whether it's injuries or just an erosion of talent, one day we will all be replaced by a hot young upstart. I mean, why else do you think I'm here? Speaking of people past their prime, Rick and Buffalo, my mom is way too young for you. Besides, she prefers being in a happy marriage, something you wouldn't know about. The worst part about Rick is he likes spawning these Rickalikes, like CJ in the Bay, that think being angry is a take. And hey, CJ, being halfway through a midlife crisis doesn't exactly make you old school. Love it or hate it, when, I'm, when I end this phone call, the only boomer worthy of responding to me is Grandpa Joe. I'm out. Got that playing down somehow. Somehow, some way, he got that playing down. Let's go to the three six zero Wells. What's going on, Wells? Hey, Romy. Unlike John Rom's COVID vaccine, I'm back and I'm ready to take a second shot. So, Jeremy in Green Bay, it's obvious you're using other callers' lines. You rely on these other callers so much, they're going to try to claim you as a dependent. And I know you're a stay-at-home dad, so it's probably confusing. But when your wife goes to work in the morning and tells you to do the recycling. Reusing material to call the Jim Rome show is not what she has in mind. Do me a favor. Write your own script, make it original, and then call Romy back. That way he can rip that ticket that you don't deserve. Thank you. All right, well, see ya. Yeah, so far, so average. That's not bad. So far, so bland. Let's go Los Angeles, Fabian. It is smack-off season. What's up, Fabes? Good morning, Romy. Good morning, Jungle. The thing here, watch. Let me cover sports, right? Hey, Dodgers, we'll be all right. Not a problem. Lakers, you know, some people might take it wrong, but you know what? Anthony Davis, that body language and the whole deal, dude, eh, it ain't going to cut it, you know? He might be good, whatever, you know, but he's got to stop playing like a little bitch, you know? Anyway, so I called, I told Adam about the, um, because he, things are starting to get back to normal in a way, you know? So... I'm thinking right here down the street, I'm trying to get a watch party going. So, you know, I, I, there, there's my ask the pros question. How should I go about it, Romy? You know, I called the 26-time winner, Rich Flores, you know. Oh, check this out. So I call him up, right? And you know who answered? I mean, I know you're not going to answer, right? But 
you know, I'll give you a hint. It's like a fake, the fake, fake, nah, silk bra, you know, Eric Silkinson, whatever. He's like, blah, 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 blah. Are you, am I coming through, Romy? Am I coming through? Well, anyway, yeah. so anyway, so that's the pros. How should I go about it? About uh, starting a little watch party? And if not, uh, just to get it around. I'm in Rancho Cucamonga now. So anywhere around here, boom, let's handle it. If not, hey, come to the pad. No problemo. Talk to you guys later, eh? Good to hear from you guys. Keep it on the up and up. I'm out eh? Yeah, Fabian, make it to the end of the phone call. South, Eastern, Wisco. Chris, how are you? I'm a good Jim. How about yourself? Great, dude. Hey, listen, man, real quick. I know that I always sound extremely professional and polite when calling into the show, but today I got to be honest, man. I lost my cool. What started as a cordial conversation ended in an F-bomb lace tirade I had with your EP. It's my utter shock and total disgust. Hawk informed me there were no plans to profile my greatness pre-smack off 27. Hey, listen, man. I just turned down a lucrative four-part docuseries offer from Netflix. They wanted to chronicle my epic rise in becoming the most feared and respected clone in the jungle. However, my loyalty will always be to the show. F the money they offered me. I don't need it. I'm going to be entering the jungle on a big day in a bad mood, clones. And now the smack-off roster is going to pay for this disrespect. I fear no one. Consider this my official RSVP. Stamp it on Flight Deck's launch pad for your viewing pleasure. See you on the 25th, Jim. It's a Dynasty Clones. All right, there's the RSVP. He's in a bad way. Good night.